this is God's word from Proverbs chapter 5, beginning in verse 3. For the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is as bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down in death, her steps lead straight to the grave. Keep to a path far from her, do not go near the door of her house lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel, lest strangers feast on your wealth. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. With the uh, release of the fourth Indiana Jones movie, a couple different networks kept rerunning the trilogy of the first three, and, and I enjoy those. And one I particularly enjoy is the last one where they are searching for the cup of Christ, the Holy Grail. If you remember one of the last scenes in the movie, there's a knight that's been guarding the Grail for 700 years, and Indiana Jones finds his way to, the, to where all the cups, the chalices are, and then the bad guy, Walter Donovan, comes after him. You'll remember he's warned by the knight that you have to choose carefully when you pick up this cup of Christ. If you pick the wrong one, you drink to your own death, and if you pick up the right one, you drink of a fountain of life. So you'll remember Donovan, the bad guy, drinks the wrong one. Do you remember what happens? He ages very quickly. His hair comes out white and long, and then eventually his face shrivels off, his eyes pop out, and he turns into dust. And in one of the great movie comments, I think of all time, the knight looks at him and says, he chose poorly. Friends, I believe that picture is a beautiful picture, an accurate picture of adultery and its effects. Adultery is drinking from the wrong cup, and it is tantamount to drinking to our own ruination. Adultery, says the Proverbs, will ruin our lives. And in verse 5 it says that the steps of going down to adultery are steps that lead to the grave. There's another translation in the New Living Translation that I like even better. It says the steps that lead to adultery are the road to hell. Ruins your life, says the Proverbs. You lose your reputation, your honor, your dignity, your wealth. But not only that, you ruin the lives of other people. Both sides involved in adultery find their lives ruined and their families ruined, and unfortunately, the generations who come after them suffer as well. It is a cup from which you do not want to drink. On the other hand, if we go forward a few verses, you find another picture, a picture of a different cup where the Proverbs author says, drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. And there we see that marriage, kept within its bounds, is a life-giving cup of water. As opposed to adultery, a cup of death. Marriage can be a life-renewing, refreshing cup of water. So the question before us this morning is, is how does one get there? How does one have uh, their marriage in such a way that it's life-giving and keeping you away from things that will take your life? For the Proverbs are very clear in warning about adultery in chapter 5 and then again in chapter 7. It's a topic that gets a lot of consideration. One of the things that sometimes leads people to start down that road is unhappiness with their own relationship. But the thing about adultery is it doesn't lessen the unhappiness of your marriage. It rather multiplies your pain in life. It's a little bit like waking up in the morning with a sinus headache and deciding that the only way to deal with it is to chop off your head. To engage in that cup and drink the wrong cup is complete devastation. 
So how do we have a life-renewing, life-giving cup? Well, I've thought about that, and to do that this morning, I need to switch metaphors on you again. And I read this metaphor in a book about marriage by a marriage counselors, Gary and Barbara Rosberg. They were commenting on the verse we used last week, guard your heart with all diligence, the one that Michael covered uh, in his tennis shoes with the children. And what it said is that to guard our heart in marriage, we must think of what they used to do in earlier days when they would build castles to guard things and to guard people. And it talked about your marriage as a castle. And I started thinking about that, and I started thinking about, well, what's involved in building a castle anyway? And I picked out a few things, and I wanted us to look at marriage for a few minutes like that. The first thing, if you were going to build a castle, you would need a good foundation upon which to build. Any building needs a foundation. Jesus himself, of course, talks about that in Matthew. And I would say that the foundation generally for a good marriage is to choose wisely, to choose your mate wisely. Now, some of you may think, well, you know, I'm a little late for that. But the fact of the matter is we will have children or grandchildren or friends who will contemplate marriage at some point in their life and perhaps we'll be of some assistance to them by a few simple reminders. And the first simple reminder is when you're choosing a mate, take your time. Take a lot of time. Time to get to know uh, your, uh, your intended in, in all areas of their life. If you only know them at work, then you need to see them when they're off work. If you only know them on the weekend, you better see what they're like during the week. If you only know them the way they are with your family, you better see how they are with their family. Time in a relationship gives us a chance to really see one another as, uh, as we really are. So I would encourage you to take lots of time. And as you're taking time, you're more than likely growing up in the process. The problem is that to uh, many of us, marry at a time when our uh, personality and and the very shape of our life is still being forged. I mean, I, I was one of those. I've, I've changed a great deal since uh, I married, and by the grace and miracle of God, we're still married, but I'm a, I'm a different person. Uh, you change a lot. And so uh, many experts recommend that the optimum age for marriage is somewhere around 28, because you're beginning to take uh, what has taken shape in your life has sort of uh, molded in now to a solid form and kind of who you are is who you are and your spouse can see you uh, for that. But at any rate, take time. Take a lot of time. And while you're taking time, settle the faith question before you get married. I've been here more than 13 years and I've had a number of discussions with married couples who are in complete disagreement about how they will raise their child in the faith our complete disagreement about how they are, whether they will attend church together or which church. And I want to tell you that these issues were already present when they were engaged. But the assumption was, we'll cross that bridge when we're married and it'll just work out. Well, it just doesn't. My experience tells me that's one of the things you settle. You're engaged. Are we going to baptize our child? Are, are we going to uh, take our faith seriously? How are we going to take it seriously? And begin to settle that before you're married. Take time. Take lots of time. But you might be saying, well, you know, I already chose. And, and maybe my choice wasn't the wisest one. Well, you need to know this. In Jesus' day and in the days before Jesus, most people didn't choose their mate. They were chosen for them. Marriages were arranged. And one of the things that Jesus' day has to teach our day is this. 
we are so into love before marriage. But in their day, because of necessity, they got into love after marriage. They got into learning to love your spouse. There's a, a classic scripture. Isaac, the promised child that Abraham and, who Abraham and uh, Sarah waited on for so very long, is finally born and then it comes time for him to get married. So Abraham sends a servant uh, back to another village far away to find a bride for Isaac. The bride's name is Rebekah and she is brought to Isaac and we are told that they marry. And then in chapter 24, verse 66, it says this, Isaac took Rebekah to be his wife and then he loved her. No matter how you've chosen, it is not too late to begin to learn love after marriage. But in as much as possible, try to set the solid foundation by choosing a mate wisely. We had the NBA draft this past week, and, and we were getting all sorts of reminders of teams that chose wisely and teams that chose poorly. Well, the consequences uh, for your franchise are going to be much longer than for any basketball franchise in this choice. So choose wisely. Then build the walls. Build the walls of your castle. The book of Nehemiah has uh, wonderful observations on wall building as they rebuilt Jerusalem. Uh, but let me uh, just make a few observations as I look at building a wall of a castle of your marriage. The first one is this. I, I believe that you should in general be very attentive when you're building. Uh, I've uh, I watched as a sanctuary got built at my last church. I've watched homes in our neighborhood get built. And I notice the builders are usually pretty careful and attentive to how one brick fits in with the other. And I would invite you in your marriage relationship to be that attentive, to be attentive to three areas. The first is be attentive to the needs and desires of your spouse. It, it boggles my mind that people with advanced degrees or people who have lived a num good number of years uh, can make the same mistake that I make, which is to assume that my spouse must be just like me in every respect. That what I like, she certainly likes. And what I want, she certainly must want as well. When, of course, nothing could be further from the truth. We are different as individuals. And typically, men are different from women. In some very general ways, not always true, but generally, uh, we can sum it up this way. Dr. Emerson Igritz, in a wonderful book called Love and Respect, says this, that typically for a woman, what she wants more than anything else is to know that she's loved unconditionally. And for a man, typically what he wants more than anything else is to know he's respected. And you can start to add things on top of that. For a woman, I think communication is uh, very important. Um, uh, for a woman, I believe emotional and physical security in life and in the marriage is very important. For men, I think to, to feel like you're desired and, and wanted as the sort of the champion of the house is significant. And for men, physical intimacy seems to be very important. But be attentive to that as, as you're building your walls. Be attentive also to cracks as they start to show up in the wall. Because at first they're tiny. But if they are left for a while, they begin to get larger and they affect the uh, stability of the entire wall. Start to look for and be attentive to the little fissures in your relationship and act now to begin to talk about them and deal with them. Remember Rick Warren in his book, Purpose Driven Life, talked about the fact that though he is against credit card debt, Early in his marriage, they had significant problems, and he said so. He maxed out his credit card to go to marriage counseling, and he said it was the best investment uh, that he had ever made. The best decision about borrowing and spending money that he had ever made was to invest in that relationship. So watch those cracks as they develop. The third thing I would invite you to be attentive to is be attentive to reality. 
And the fact of the matter is, if, if things are entering your mind that are, that are from other cups or outside your marriage, know this. Know this, that the fantasy always seems better than your current reality. But it is not so. It is simply that. It is fantasy. As we're reminded by Proverbs, the words may at first seem like honey, but they will give you an upset stomach or worse. They will be bitter as gall. Uh, The seduction, the temptation, always seems so much more interesting and wonderful than whatever your current marital reality is. But the real reality is it will be worse, and it will ruin you, and it will take down who you are and what you have. So be attentive to this reality. It's a reality check. I, I like to uh, remind myself that in marriage I'm just sort of a package deal, you know, kind of as is uh, in some ways. And so my wife gets some good and, and probably some not so good. Uh, but I know my reality, and she knows my reality, and, and I know the reality about her. And I just typically go through life going, it could be a lot worse. It could be a lot worse. Uh, my reality in the end is going to be better than any fantasy, uh, because the fantasy is never what it seems. Be attentive building walls. Then in any castle, you've got to have a moat. You know, you've got to have that, that boundary that, that no one may cross, or they cross with great difficulty. And, and so in the same way, I think you need to put a hedge of protection around your marriage. Guard about what things can threaten your marriage. Know in advance what they are, and know in advance what you plan to do with them. Build that moat. Um, I know if you've got teenagers, you've had the discussion with them that runs something like this. When you get to the party is not the time to decide whether or not you will drink. When you find yourself in this situation is not the time to decide whether or not you will do drugs. When you show up at the final exam is not the time to decide whether or not you're going to cheat. That all the significant decisions we make are made in advance. And then we hold to them in that moment. And so in the same way, make a decision in advance that you will put a hedge around some areas that might threaten your marriage. Let me suggest three. The first that can threaten your marriage is your career. Decide early on that your marriage is more important than your career. And that while you want to excel and and do excellence of whatever God has given you to do, you will not do it at the cost of your relationship. Second area that threatens marriage is children. Uh, And my generation got really good at putting the children ahead of the spouse. And we have sown the wind and begun to reap the whirlwind. And so my generations have children who grow up whose parents don't really know and love each other. I'm reminded of the counselor who once said that your children do not need to know that you love them as much as they need to know you love each other. Because then they can rest in the security of love. They'll wake up and know that you're there tomorrow morning and you're both going to be there. And in that environment, they can learn to trust and love and can receive. Uh, don't undermine the security of their world by focusing on them more than you focus on your spouse. Make that decision early on, whether it be a date night or, or uh, set uh, times for conversations away or coffee or something that you will continue to focus on each other. The third threat is this. Decide early on how you're going to do with pe- deal with people of the opposite sex. Let me put it this way. When Billy Graham put his team together 60 years ago, they made three promises. The first one was this. They would never fudge on attendance figures. Believe me, that's a difficult one. They wouldn't miscount deliberately or misestimate how many people showed up at the revival. Second thing is they would be open and above board financially and accountable. They would tell you how much they took in. They would show you every penny where it went. 
And the third pledge they made was, was this. No person on their ministry team would ever have a meal alone with a person of the opposite sex unless that person was their wife or their husband. They just weren't going to go there. They weren't going to decide early on. How are you going to put that moat around uh, your relationship and follow it? Well, in every castle, there was always a room that you built for somebody else. You never intended to live in that room yourself, but you knew that someday somebody might have to be placed in there. And, of course, that room was a dungeon. I want to tell you this, friends. There is a quick way to live in the dungeon, and that is this. We all have made mistakes as husbands. We have all made mistakes as wives. And if you want to live imprisoned in the rest of your life, then do this. Do not forgive your spouse for mistakes they've made against you. And do not forgive yourself for mistakes that you have made with them. That's the quickest way to just lock up your life and close it and close it off. I love what Henry Nouwen says about forgiveness. He said, forgiveness is allowing another person not to be God. You're not perfect. Your spouse is not perfect. Allow for that. Allow for that. They will make mistakes. They have made mistakes. But why would you lock away your, the rest of your life? Why would you throw away your life and throw away the key with it? Because the key that unlocks the door for every relationship and for every avenue in life, most often, is the key of forgiveness. Use it. Use it often. Use it liberally. For God has, been, has created you to be loved not only by God, but by others. And quite honestly, your spouse is the very person God intended to bless you in your life.